All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to our episodes that have come to pass. And this particular one. Was that correct? Come to pass? Come to pass. That is the right way to say it. Sometimes I feel like my grammar is out of place. Um, Just like the the events of this year, (laughs) which were out of whack. So for this last episode, we are going to cover eight top events that made news and that are news and noteworthy. Um, For an example, did you know that Akon was building a crypto city? In Africa. In Africa. Well, if you didn't, then we're going to talk about it in this particular episode. So without further ado, let's begin. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. The content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes only. All right, first things first, the pandemic hit. We're all aware of that, (laughs) unless you were living under a cave. Which, in a cave. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know many people that live under caves. I don't know many people in caves, so, actually. So I was, <laughs> no, I was thinking under a rock. You were thinking. Because I was thinking of um, SpongeBob SquarePants and Patrick. Patrick, yes. He lives under a... A rock. A, okay. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, unless you're off of the internet, in which case you probably wouldn't be hearing this, you would know that there is a pandemic. Um, and what is the result of the pandemic from an economic standpoint, Murgaki? <laughs> yes. Um, a lot of a lot of printing of, of money. So And the crypto industry likes to put it in a really particular way. There's a set of memes where they all use the same phrase. And that's money printer goes brr. B-R-R-R-R-R-R. So if you've seen any of these memes mentioning that, you know, countries are printing tons of money, that's that's probably an accompanying phrase that they use. Yes, and and just to you know put into perspective, we are uh, amateur economic economists. We are learning what economies are all about. And in previous episodes, we have talked about the the damaging impacts of printing so much money. However, we just want to put it out there that looking at the year, I you and I, Keegan, could not have come up with a solution to um, no, certainly not. to solve the problem for a shorter period of time. We we know that um, there are solutions to um, not repeat the same set of circumstances with respect to printing money for future events, f- f- uh, you know, for whenever they may happen. Um, but yes. Yeah, yeah, it's not that cut it and dry. It needed to happen. Yeah, like it, we can't just sit here on our chair and say, oh, government's printed money all around the year. This caused economic impacts that are unchangeable and da-da-da-da-da. Uh, and they shouldn't have done that. No. We, we, we will not say that they shouldn't have done it because we do not have a better solution. We cannot, I don't know, I, I just, I don't think that we can sit here and say, oh, they made a bad choice uh, to print money. No, it's probably the only choice that they could have made to yes. reasonably get countries, uh, their whoever's respective country, out of the particular problem that they're facing. And then what you do end up seeing is uh, countries like Turkey, for example, and Lebanon, those two countries have gone through inflation events this year as a result of the pandemic. And so you can look at that and say, okay, yes, they made the right decision to print money to like help people have cash flow so that they can buy food and not starve. But at the same time, now their their respective currencies are, are worth 50% less than they were when the year started. And how do you reconcile that? And 
I think what we're starting to suggest is like, hey, maybe we should start looking at anti-inflationary currencies and the government's adopting it. Even anti-inflationary systems or procedures uh, going forward with keeping in mind a rainy day fund, a really large rainy day fund for something like this that could happen again. So you don't have to deflate your current supply of money. And we're also talking about having accountability in place to determine where that money goes after it's been printed. Because it would, yes, the money can be printed, and then where does it go? And if it goes to the top and just gets distributed amongst uh, the the people that are already wealthy and in positions of power, then that's some then that means that we suffer from something called the Cantillion effect, and that's just that yes, the money doesn't actually get trickled down like uh, like some economists might think it would. Yeah. So just to close this uh, particular top event of this year, where the money printer goes burr. Like Keegan rightly <laughs> put earlier, uh, just a staggering fact uh, to end this particular topic, which is 35% of all U.S. dollars in existence were created in the last 10 months. That's that's a lot, a lot of of, uh, of money that was printed in the last 10 months, and we are looking forward to how the United States, the United States dollar, reconciles with this in the next year and the coming years. It's not something that can be just resolved in one year's time. So then we had, so the pandemic hit in March, countries uh, started printing money or their central banks did rather. And then in May, what Bitcoin did is it underwent its third happening event. And while this is a bit of a technical concept, uh, we can break it down for you. Basically, Bitcoin's inflation rate, it gets cut in half every four years in an event called the happening. Yeah, just to break it down even further, um, if um, I guess if you didn't know how Bitcoin comes into circulation, we've repeated a lot of times that there's only 21 million Bitcoin that can ever exist, but all all of these 21 million Bitcoin aren't in circulation yet. And the way that new Bitcoin <clears throat> enters the system is that every four years, um, we've talked about miners in some of our previous episodes, and they're essentially the ones that um, well, mint the secure, Bitcoin. secure the network and mint the Bitcoin. And they get a reward for minting or securing the network. That reward gets cut in half, and that's called the Bitcoin halvening. If you wanted to learn more about that, we recommend taking a look at episode three, where we talk about Bitcoin origins and philosophy, as well as episode five, where we talk about how Bitcoin mining works. So yeah, that was a pretty exciting event. Yeah, I I do want to add like another thing to that. This is one way that you can put it in perspective. Uh, Before May 2020, there was 1,800, so 1,800 new Bitcoin being minted into circulation um, every day. So on a daily basis, 1,800 Bitcoin were brought into circulation. Now it's 900. And that's just one way to, to put that whole conversation of having the uh, the inflation rate in perspective. So 1,800 down to 900. So now every day, 900 new Bitcoin enter circulation, come on the market, they're for sale, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's just one way to think about it. Yeah. And for reference, it started off with 50 Bitcoins. So every time um, a, a block was produced, 50 Bitcoin were rewarded to the miner who produced that block. Uh, that block. So that was starting in 2009. Then 
after that, the next halving took place in... It's actually 2012. Yeah, yeah, 2012, where instead of getting 50 Bitcoin, the miner was rewarded 25 Bitcoin. And then every four years, it gets halved. So from 25, it came down to 12 and a half. And then this year, it became six and a quarter. Um, and we can see using this principle, the number of Bitcoin that come into circulation every four years is going to become significantly low, which means that scarcity is going to be driven higher as Bitcoin continues to exist. That's right. Because less and less Bitcoin will come into circulation. So it was a very exciting event that took place on the on May 11, 2020. There were lots of parties around the world, Bitcoin <laughs> happening parties. Well, um, last night we were asked the question, like, what's an ideal celebration look like for you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not like a, a huge Christmas person, but, you know, I like spending time with my family and whatnot. So they're like, hey, what would be the most ideal <laughs> holiday for you? I was like, well, you know what? The Bitcoin halving event only takes place every four years. That seems like a, a really appropriate amount of time to wait between <laughs> celebrations. And I could I could imagine us throwing a, a pretty big 2024 Bitcoin happening celebration. If it was possible, this year was quite indoors yeah. um, and isolated. But you know what? It happened. It was, a, it was a great event. And that brings us to the next event, which is a con building a crypto city in Africa. Tell us what, what that's all about, Keegan. Yeah, so if you don't know who Akon is, uh, he is a pop artist. Um, I remember him from elementary school right into junior high and high school. He used to listen to his songs. And then around 2016, he came on my radar because he started venturing into cryptocurrencies and looking into crypto. And he's like, okay, cool. I'm going to go to Senegal and I'm going to talk with the president and I'm going to get him to give me this huge plot of land and $6 billion dollars. And then I was like, wow, that, that seems really unlikely. And then it wasn't. <laughs> they, that, they just decided to do that. So Acon just got $6 billion and they're building Acon City, where the prime currency of that city will be Acoin. I kid you not, A-K-O-I-N. Uh, and yeah, the whole, the whole city will run on Acoin. And if that sounds like a fairy tale, then uh, I, I can't wait for it to happen. I will go there. I, I would love to buy a condo on on the coast of Senegal and live in Acoin City for a little bit of the year. I don't know. Would you? Am, hey, <laughs> I'm open to it. It sounds it sounds like a really fun time. We're gonna have to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, but okay. One last thing about uh, Acoin City. Uh, I do think that there was a little bit of an oversight of Acoin here. I don't think that there's any reason why you wouldn't build a city with crypto as its lifeblood but have Bitcoin be the prime currency. There's no reason for Akon to create his own currency unless I'm missing something here. Bitcoin works perfectly fine as that uh, that primary medium of exchange. And I think it would even work better than trying to create a whole new coin and economy for your city to run on. Why wouldn't you already, use, like by the time they actually build that city, this will be four or five, six, maybe 10 years later, and Bitcoin will be a much more mature, stable thing for people to use and transact with anyway. Uh, I think a lot can be said to that point. Yeah, like, you're right. Do you have anything <laughs> to say on that point? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. For, for, for one, uh, capital control. Right. Capital control is one because... You can't control uh, Bitcoin's we, capital. We talk about how Bitcoin is uh, introduces uh, the concept of free market for money. But with respect to it being used by everyday vendor, vendors, uh, it's just... I cannot, I cannot imagine it. I cannot imagine um, a, a city 
or country adopting Bitcoin as its prime currency right now. Right. It just um, neither can I. Yeah. Okay. We, we, so what we were you talking use, about? Well, I was talking about later when Bitcoin is more mature and the infrastructure is in place. So, for example, Bitcoin Beach uses the Lightning Network to transact with, like, on a really micro scale, like three thousand, five thousand people. Uh, they they trade, they pay their bills, they buy food with Bitcoin using the Lightning Network. And okay, can we blow that model up to the size of a uh, of a city of a million people? Does it still work at that point? I don't know. I I have no idea. Right on. For for all of those that didn't listen to the episode with Billy Garrison on the Lightning Network, we we talked about that in episode twenty. The previous interview that we did with him was also just episode 18, where we talked about Bitcoin inflation and printing money. So those two are really great episodes to listen to if you want to get more information on uh, the, Lightning. the Lightning Network. Yeah, And yeah. then episode 16 is uh, the, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin Beach, Beach episode with yeah. uh, Michael Peterson. And that we just mentioned Bitcoin Beach. It's a microeconomy based on Bitcoin in El Salvador. And they actually use Bitcoin to make their way through the pandemic. And that, that was... This, that story is incredible, so we yeah. highly recommend that you listen to it. Exactly. Really great interview, too. All right. Cool. Kraken. Kraken. Kraken's a cryptocurrency exchange. And one of the biggest news stories of this year, from our perspective, is the fact that they've actually got permission to be a crypto bank in the United States. So the U.S. is typically criticized with uh, being harsh against crypto or they crack down on ICOs and all these other things. Um, I don't I don't know if our listeners know what an ICO is. Oh, it's it's essentially like uh, an initial public offering, so IPO, but in the cryptocurrency world, so ICO, which is initially initial coin offering. Right. It's what happens when a new coin is created and the new coin needs some value to be seeded with. and It's like a fundraiser event, kind of like Kickstarter. Uh, that's a small tangent, though. Back to Kraken. <laughs> Uh, they've got permission to be a crypto custodian or a crypto bank for the uh, for the entire United States. And this is really cool because now they actually get to set the model. They get to set the precedent and pave the way for other companies that wish to be crypto banks in the future or neobanks, if you want to call them. Yeah, I remember us covering this in one of the episodes, but I think it was just a side uh, topic. So I can't remember which one. Yeah. Um, but if you haven't listened to the rest of our episodes, we recommend you do that. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next one's MicroStrategy being a, a mega bull. Michael Saylor, the CEO of MicroStrategies, has gained the title of being the mega bull. The mega bull. The mega bull in the cryptocurrency industry because of his efforts to drive cryptocurrency adoption or Bitcoin adoption into the world of uh, non- institutional investing, I would say. Thank you. Institutional yeah. invest. I just, I was going to say non-Bitcoin or non-crypto um, events, but. Well, he's, he's normalizing rich people looking at Bitcoin in a, uh, and taking it seriously because Michael Saylor is a, is a rich person and he's earned the title of being the mega bull for a number of reasons. He got turned on to Bitcoin this year in 2020. He's heard about it before, but didn't take it seriously until someone suggested it to him as being the reasonable thing that could solve some of the problems that him and his con- uh, company, <laughs> I was going to say country, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Michael Saylor does not have a country yet. Uh, him and his company uh, were trying to solve them. And, and uh, we cover that pretty extensively in a case study that we published this year, just because, the, the, in my opinion, if I was to pick one event other than the happening, because I love the happening <laughs> in this year that uh, that really threw Bitcoin into the stratosphere and is driving its price up. 
it's uh, it's the whole Michael Saylor narrative that uh, that started at the beginning of this year uh, was uh, inflated by the, the his story. His problem was inflated by COVID and uh, the money printing problem. And then Michael Saylor tried to solve his problem of diminishing cash reserves or diminishing buying power of his cash reserves with buying Bitcoin. And so first he bought a massive personal supply, he bought 20,000 Bitcoin with his own money. And then he went into his company and convinced his board to buy 425 million. Then in November, they bought another 50 million. And then in December, and this is not in the case study because uh, we published the case study at the end of November. And then literally a day later, we heard this, this news. Michael Saylor uh, raised $650 million of debt so that they could buy more Bitcoin. <laughs> and it's like, wow, dude, you love Bitcoin a lot. So now they've got more than a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin in their uh, in their possession. And that's uh, that's pretty impressive because, I mean, they've said themselves that they're not going to sell it. Uh, they can do a lot with that. They can. Yeah, I can see some um, some critics say, well, then they become a part of a centralized supply or a centralized silo. I, I can't say centralized because it's still decentralization within a decentralized economy, but they become one of the um, the silos. Yeah, that, that yeah, contain is... this much Bitcoin. Yep. Yeah, that's true. And uh, for those who uh, didn't know, we covered the case study in episode 34. We just talked through some of the events that took place, but we will insert a link in the show notes if you wanted to go read it yourself. It's really good. Um, <laughs> and I'm not being modest about it at all because we put a lot of time <laughs> and effort into it. We had a lot of fun producing it and it turned out to be very good. We've Heard a lot of people tell us this. I do actually want to like just talk about that silo thing for a moment sure. and put it in perspective. Since there's only 21 million Bitcoin, uh, what's 1% of that? 1% of 21 million is 210,000 Bitcoin. Does does MicroStrategy hold 1%? No, they hold less than 1%. They have about between half and uh, three quarters of 1%. And it's like, okay, that that's a lot, but it's still relatively small compared to the total supply. And yes, their their score in, in in quotations, like if you want to think of it that way, is uh, never going to go down if, as long as they don't sell. Uh, but if they do sell, then they're putting that Bitcoin into the market and it'll be distributed. And so uh, that's just like I, I I use that to keep keep that in perspective because in the way that our monetary system is currently set up, uh, it is designed for rich people to get richer. It's very easy for that to happen, uh, and. And then when money gets created, it it doesn't give the same proportionate slice of the newly created pie to every individual. And that doesn't exist with Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I kind of wanted to also point out is we covered in one of the episodes about how Paul Krugman wrote that Bitcoin is evil. And in another one of his um, articles that are posted in the New York Times, he talked about, I still don't know what one problem cryptocurrencies solve. So the, the problem that Bitcoin solved for Michael Saylor is the answer to the question that Paul Krugman was asking. It, it solves the problem of preserving your wealth. And that's that. If you want to read it, I, we highly encourage you to read it. And we'll link it in the show notes. we we'll link it in the show notes. So the next thing that we want to bring into... Um, into the spotlight here is how PayPal also, I would say that they followed 
<clears throat> excuse me, suit, uh, because after Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy came out with the announcement that they had bought, was, was it 350 first? And then they bought another 125. So it was 250, then 175 for a total of 425. There we go. Then they probably made some money in Q3, approximately $50 million. And then they, they turned that profit from that quarter into Bitcoin. Into Bitcoin. Yeah. And, and now they've doubled yeah, what the, they bought. The initial investment like, doubled. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I would say that that sparked a lot of interest among a lot of other large companies. Um, a small tangent, because yes, we're, we are going to talk about PayPal, but just recently there was this Twitter storm that took place. And it was this conversation between Elon Musk and Michael Saylor happening again on Twitter. And Michael Saylor was essentially <laughs> inserting the idea into Elon Musk's mind that, hey, if you converted some of your balance sheet or your cash reserves into Bitcoin for Tesla, it would do you some good. So I, <laughs> this is what we're ending this year with. And just with that seed that Michael Saylor has planted in Elon Musk's mind, 2021 can look a lot different with respect to Bitcoin adoption among larger tech giants or even just large companies. Um, and again, that drives adoption, that drives awareness. It's like a free marketing campaign for Bitcoin. It is actually yeah. <laughs> a, a very expensive free marketing campaign for Bitcoin. And that brings us to talking about PayPal because PayPal, uh, after MicroStrategy announced that they are going to offer paying in Bitcoin on their platform. And currently, 350 million people use PayPal to transact, um, to, to make transactions around the world. And to us, this is kind of um, like a second layer, semi second layer solution, since Bitcoin is the thing that you can use to send money to people around the world or send Bitcoin, uh, which is money to somebody else around the world without requiring a third party. But uh, there, there can be said something about uh, PayPal taking this initiative to drive awareness of uh, and, and credibility to this thing that we call Bitcoin that we believe to be is money. Yeah, it does bring a lot of credibility to, to Bitcoin, mostly because well, PayPal is, when did they get started? It was like 97, 98. And then they kind of really started taking off in 2000, 2001 with uh, yeah. their partnership with eBay, right? If I have that timeline sure. correct. Anyway, well, well, PayPal wanted to build something like Bitcoin in the start. Uh, I read that in um, Zero to One, the, the book by Peter Thiel, founder of PayPal. And they're like, yeah, we wanted to do something like Bitcoin, actually. It just wasn't possible at the time. And so now they're actually coming full circle in a way and enabling people to use the thing that they kind of wanted to build in the first place. So for me... PayPal getting into cryptocurrency and Bitcoin is a little bittersweet because the way that they're doing it is they're not going to allow you to withdraw your Bitcoin. They're only only going to allow you to transact with it. And that that just kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit and, and think about like the ownership values of uh, like, do you own your Bitcoin on, on PayPal? That's I think the title of one of our episodes. No, it's well simple. Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> and we do talk about PayPal in that episode as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in a way, it's positive because that's driving awareness, but in a way, it's really not furthering the purpose of having something like Bitcoin exist in the first place. So if this is people's first introduction to Bitcoin, I would say that it's a net positive, right? If they get introduced to Bitcoin through PayPal, I'd be willing to bet that PayPal is going to build a system that makes it pretty safe for them to do so. And that's really good, actually, because, I mean, losing Bitcoin hurts. It hurts in the heart. I've, I've lost Bitcoin. 
just due to my own lack of knowledge and stupidity. And I don't want other people to experience that same sort of pain. And if PayPal, in all of their billions of dollars of glory, can build some systems and some user interfaces that simplifies the whole thing and lets users take one step at a time on their adoption of, uh, of Bitcoin, then that that's great. That sounds like a net positive to me. Yeah. Well, talking about net positive, we're going to take a 180 turn and talk about some negatives that... Yeah, just some straight uh, negatives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there were some hacks that took place and money was lost this year. Cryptocurrency, again, it's it's such it's a new industry if you put it into perspective. Bitcoin was only born 11 years ago. It's going to turn 12 years old on January 3rd of next year. So yes, mistakes will be made. And we're going to talk about some of the hacks and losses that took place this year. Right. So one of those hacks, uh, well, like there's just this huge collection of them, actually. Uh, I, I don't know if we've actually talked a whole lot about Ethereum on this um, on this podcast. I don't believe we have. Yeah. So code is hackable and Ethereum uh, is, is a platform that runs code. And when people hack the code on Ethereum, they can steal lots of money. And that's exactly what we saw happen this year as well as 2017. So this year has actually been a bit of a hearkening back to 2017. Uh, 2017, we saw a huge crypto bubble, and that m- meant that uh, that these new innovations in the crypto space uh, allowed for people to invest money really, really simply, but it also allowed for a scheme called a pump and dump scheme. And that's, okay, I've got a lot of money. I'm going to pump up the value of this asset, generate some FOMO, and then I'm going to sell my bags at a profit. And then the other people that bought at a high are left holding the bags and they're the ones that lose out in the end. And we saw this same thing happen with this new phenomenon called DeFi protocols. DeFi stands for decentralized finance. And uh, in the last 30 seconds, I was just really riffing because Murga left the room, but she's <laughs> back now. And I'm assuming that she had an intention for leaving the podcast so suddenly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did. I'm going to introduce it in the end, though. I just needed a piece of paper. Okay, great. Thank you for riffing, Keegan. Yeah, the hacks and losses section is actually not all that uh, that interesting. I, the, the one thing that I would say about it is uh, there's, there's one company, CredEarn. It was a, uh, a custodial service that allowed you to loan out your Bitcoin or cryptocurrency at an interest rate. So if I had one Bitcoin and they were giving me a 5% interest rate on that, I'd have 1.05 Bitcoin at the end of the year. Now, the problem with that is that if the company makes bad investment decisions, and they did, then they would go under and you would lose your Bitcoin because your Bitcoin, you've entrusted that company, you've put it in their possession. And so if they go under and they leave and they give your Bitcoin to someone else, then there's nothing you can do about that. And so the the, the disclaimer here is be very careful when putting your Bitcoin on the internet in anything except a cold storage wallet. It's funny you say that. Yes. Be careful with putting your Bitcoin on the internet. Oh, it's funny you say that. True. Yeah. It's because Bitcoin is on the internet. That's, that's why where it's it, funny. That's where, it, yeah, that's where it lives. That's where it was born. Yeah. But so. You mean exchange? Well, yeah, put it on the exchange. But also, what I mean is like put it on the internet in the sense that uh, like the alternative would be to have it in a cold storage wallet, which is still on the internet. It, like kind of, but like it's not connected to the internet. Sure, but the Bitcoin still lives on the internet. Yes, it does. <laughs> but the access to the Bitcoin does not. This is true. Yes. 
Okay. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to whatever you brought out on that piece of paper. I hope I'm not hyping it up too much. No, well, we'll see. Okay. So, <laughs> the last thing, the last event that we wanted to cover for this year was that Bitcoin breaks and the all-time high that it's set in 2017. Keegan, you wrote a fantastic newsletter that covered this. You talked about how uh, weather, what is happening right now, because there was a small bull run and then it's another small bull run because Bitcoin went from 20,000 to 25,000 in a matter of two weeks, and then 25000 to 30000 Canadian dollars in a matter of around 10 days. So um, this, this um, what we're seeing right now, this um, pattern, is it the same pattern that we noticed in the bull, not the bull run, well, the bull run of 2017? Um, but you, you explained it really well. We'll uh, link this newsletter that Keegan's written, because I was really impressed by it in the show notes. But essentially, the market has matured in the last three years. In 2017, there was a lot of hype driving the adoption of Bitcoin, and it grew too big too fast. And then obviously, any bubble that grows needs to be popped, or it will eventually just pop itself. So that's what happened um, in the crash of the cryptocurrency bubble in 2017. But this isn't doesn't seem like uh, the bubble is being blown up that quickly. At least or if we're in the bubble, bubble, I would say that we're in the like beginning stages of a new bubble if we are in a bubble. I don't yeah. like using that term because I, I don't actually think that that's what Bitcoin's doing anymore. In 2017, I would say we had a crypto bubble. I wouldn't say that we had Bitcoin a Bitcoin bubble. bubble. Yeah. With respect to Bitcoin, it's following a really specific pattern called uh, the stock to flow ratio. And you want to look at this chart because it's uh, it's very compelling at uh, at predicting the price of Bitcoin. Bitcoin's actually adhering to the stock to flow ratio chart uh, almost to the T, which is astonishing because you're like, OK, wait, why does this like internationally exchanged uh, cryptocurrency adhere to this chart? Um, and that's that's a really fascinating question to ask. And yes, I, I, I do actually answer that uh, in detail in that newsletter. Yeah, it was really good. I was very impressed by it. So we link that. So yeah, the, the Bitcoin breaks all time high. It is currently, as we're recording this, sitting at 30,000 Canadian dollars um, and some change. And that, that was a very exciting time for us specifically because we talk about bitcoin all the time right you, you, everyone listening knows that we do that we have a podcast dedicated to it however our friends and family <laughs> <laughs> they're sick of us <laughs> no well no no i was gonna say they come to us or they start paying more attention when bitcoin hits mainstream media news oh yeah that is funny so when bitcoin hit an all-time high and then the news papers or news channels that they subscribed to started talking about Bitcoin. They were like, oh, who's the one person that we know in our uh, friend circle or family circle that knows about Bitcoin? It was us. So it was really funny to have, have it was not, well, it wasn't funny, but it was very nice that everybody came to us to ask us questions about what is happening. Yes, but it's also ironic because it's not like we haven't been talking about <laughs> Bitcoin yeah. for the entire, well, for five years now for me, but yeah. Um, just from the last like two years, I've been absolutely obsessed, and my friends are are uh, noticing that I'm talking a lot <laughs> about Bitcoin. But on the day that uh, that Bitcoin hit a new all time high, uh, we had the most podcast downloads, for example. And that same day, we uh, we spent it on Facebook and LinkedIn, basically talking to uh, all sorts of people that probably have been following our content, but really got turned on to it the day that they're like, "Oh, look, Bitcoin! It's." It's not dead. <laughs> Did you say Facebook? 
Yeah. Instagram for me. Yeah, right. Yeah, I make short stories on on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency on my Instagram channel. If you aren't subscribed to it, or subscribed. If you're not connected with me on Instagram, my name is Murgakshi. It's just my name. You'll be able to find me. It's not a lot I of think people. it's spell your name. Yeah, it's <laughs> M-R-U-G-A-K-S-H-E-E. Three syllables, ten letters. All right. So the reason why I got up in the middle of this episode, because I wanted to grab this piece of paper to end this episode... Uh, we actually want to give you a quick bonus little link to this other podcast episode that is that was created by our friend Brad Mills. Uh, the title of it is called How Much Does the Public Know About Bitcoin with mm. Esther Lessing. And the name of his podcast is called Magic Internet Money. I was listening to it the other day and I was blown away by the stats. If you are a numbers person and if you like to um, listen to what uh, is happening in the world of cryptocurrency or what people know about crypto with a percentage, then you will love this particular episode. And I just wrote down this one um, quote, I guess, by Esther. She said this. This is the result of the um, the one of the stats. And it was only 22% of the population knows that the US dollar is backed by nothing. And whoops. That yeah. <laughs> when when I heard her say that, it was it was shocking because peop if if more people knew that the money that they're using to transact on an everyday basis isn't what they thought it has been, that's going to cause some it's some sort of Something. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to cause something. It's going to cause something. And well, like in, I think in, I can continue. Well, I want to say just one Absolutely. thing. So I talked about this in one of my uh, Instagram stories is, oh, if, if you thought that Bitcoin is, sorry, um, if uh, our, your rupee is backed by something, it really isn't. It was with respect to some people asking me questions on um, how Bitcoin is backed by nothing and how can we trust that. So I said, well, okay, did you know that your rupee or your dollar is not backed by anything either? And they were under the impression that it was backed by gold, which after you the U.S. got off of the gold standard in 1933, 1933. Almost 100 years ago. Yes, almost a century ago, a, a lot of countries followed suit. So it ha it has been the case that the your money, which is known as fiat, fiat being the Latin word no, uh, meaning it shall be, meaning that under the authority of the government, your dollar shall be a certain value. So it is backed by the word of the dollar, sorry, the word of the government, but people don't know about this. People are still under the impression that it is backed by gold. It's actually one of the most common questions that we get in our presentations or online. It's like, okay, cool, Bitcoin. What's it actually backed by? Right? And we're like, oh, I got them now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, look, listen, okay, your dollar is backed by just as much as what is backing yeah except there's more people backing the value of bitcoin than there it is um local to whatever government currency you're using so i'm going to read this stat out again and keep and then whatever you want to say you can say it so only 22 percent of the population knows that the u.s dollar is backed by nothing uh yeah actually i, I had already said that I, yeah we're good okay yeah it's worth repeating the stat again because it's it's staggering it is a staggering thought i just wanted to, to bring up that uh that oh, that's the, the presentation most yeah. common question that we yeah. get and it we do get that that sideways head nod like oh wow really yeah because it's some it's not something that you think you would hear as the response to the the question so like even even after we have answered questions i've seen people in disbelief 
because they don't understand Bitcoin. And then once we answer the question, they don't understand their own money. And <laughs> that is equally <laughs> as shocking. So it's, it's, um, so it's something. You said that we went off the gold standard in 1933. And I, when I say we, I mean the U.S. because they're the ones that triggered yeah, that absolutely. standard. And we transitioned into a fiat-based system, so a system based on the authority or the word or the trust of the government over the next 30 years. Like the end of that um, that transition period is kind of 1970s with Richard Nixon. And so the point of me saying this is that the whole monetary system that we're living in right now is just as much of an experiment. There's never been a time on the planet where we've had such a widely distributed fiat-based system ever in the world. So when people are like, look, our financial system, it's super secure. It's great. It's like, we're, we're fine. We're doing it. No, we're actually experimenting right now. <laughs> we're at most 100 years into this new experiment of fiat-based money. And we are deciding to opt out of that experiment and take part in a new experiment that's 12 years old based yeah. on Bitcoin. That's that's kind of in a nutshell what this is all about. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that ends our top eight events that took place in this year, along with a bonus. Um, we'll link the, the episode that we talked about that our friend did with that has the stats. It Again, highly recommended. Really great conversation. Really shocking stats. Um, it'll put a lot of things into perspective. And with that, thank you so much for listening to us for the past five months or six months, however long yeah, we've been, been recording really cool this journey. conversation. Yes. And, you know, the next year is only two weeks away. So we'll see you shortly. Have a great time. Um, with your families. With your families. And friends and gifts I, or snow. Not, if you're um, around snow. Uh Yes, wow, we really don't know how to end this. That's <laughs> when wish people for the holidays, do we? Well, everyone, we hope that you have a very enjoyable end of the year and hope that we get to talk to you again next year. Thank you for tuning in and see you in the new year.